You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. so glad to have Pastor Pete from UVA, University of Virginia, speak last week and uh, the students that came with him. And I hope you can hear why I've had him. So here's the connection. I've, I have a great relationship with Pastor Pete, but the connection is this. I'm the re, uh, I'm, I, in, in this part of Virginia, I'm a part of interviewing people who want to go into full-time ministry. If they want to pursue a credential, whether it be certified or licensed ordination, I'm the person they start with, and then that process gets going. And I've been interviewing about one student every two months from that University of Virginia for about the last 18 months. And I'm thinking, how are so many students going to a secular university and getting called to full-time ministry? And so uh, and I, I said, Pete, man, you got to come and tell the story of how people are coming to UVA and not just finding Christ, and, 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 and getting discipled, but some of them are saying, this major that I declared, that's not me. I'm going to go a different direction, and I'm going into full-time Christian service. And I will tell you this, he challenges, I, don't, I, I, I listened, but I didn't hear him say it. One of the challenges that he does with all his seniors is go to the mission field for one year after graduation before you start your career. And the idea is that it helps them develop a worldview and also to keep the career that they're going into in perspective on what they could do through that career and the impact that they may have with people overseas and what they can do through that. And again, he'll have 50 and 60 students every spring uh, or, or after graduation give one year of service before they go into their career. It's a phenomenal thing. So I hope you heard him, and the key point takeaway was this. Transformation happens in community. God uses people. We don't underestimate the power of a church service, but discipleship happens in community and relationship with other people. So anyway, we're going to continue with the series that I started a while back, Living Out a Genuine Faith in a Fallen World, and it's based on the Sermon on the Mount. And ironic, well not ironically, strategically, the verse that we read for the offering came out, or uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at that entire section that Jesus spoke about as it relates to money. So everybody stand if you would, and we're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 to contextualize that one verse. Let's read together. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Holy Spirit, as we look at this teaching from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, I pray that you help us not just to be intellectually informed. I pray that it provides the seedbed for transformation in our lives. Wherever we're at in our journey with you, Jesus, we pray that this will help us to move to new horizons for you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So we're looking at certain selected passages of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught. And one of the things that we have to recognize as we look at this Sermon on the Mount is the fact that there's no way that we can have all the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. By that, I mean this. You can read the Sermon on the Mount from, in about 12 to 15 minutes. Well, we know Jesus taught all day. So there's no way that everything that Jesus got, that said got recorded. What we have are the synopsis, the, the notes 
that Matthew put together, the, the highlights of what Jesus was saying. There's no way to unpack everything that Jesus said at the Sermon on the Mount. It would have been vast. But you see the diversity of subject, and I would say this, definitely by talking on the subject of money, I'm pretty sure Jesus had a lot more to say than the few verses that we read. But these are the highlights, okay, of what he said. But the other part of that is, too, you know, you probably, if you were traveling with Jesus, you were one of his disciples, and, you know, he's got this massive crowd, and he's preaching this, and he's preaching that, and love your enemies, and be a light, and then he gets into money. I'm sure the disciples went, whoa, there goes the crowd. <laughs> Jesus had him right there in the palm of his hand, and now he's going to talk on money, and uh, these people are fed up with that topic. It's a turnoff topic, man. And they were probably going, all right, let's move on to other things. Praise God. Hallelujah. When he got into other subjects, those people were no different back then than, than we are today. And I know by reading this, I'm assuming some of you went, oh, great. This is that one of those sermons where the pastor, you know, summarizes it. Give it all to God and trust him for the rest. <laughs> Wrong. In fact, I am taking a totally different angle to this than probably anybody could even figure out because one of the things that I say is this. After 40 years of ministry, one of the things that I want to make sure is this, is that I study until I learn something. I don't want to just spend the time remembering what I've said before. I want to study. And so I want to show you something that I've never done. I took a different perspective on how Jesus came up with his teachings, and I think you'll find this interesting, and you're probably thinking, wait a minute, what do you mean how he came? Just give, how many know our background has a huge influence on who we are today? So I want to, we're going to look at that a little bit. So why, with every, with this massive crowd, he's covering a lot of topics, why did Jesus include the teaching on money? Was it, you know, you just kind of like, wow, was, everything was a real high mark, and then you got to that topic, oh, low mark. Why would you do that, Jesus? Well, I'll tell you this. In fact, Jesus taught a lot about money and possessions. If you look at his parables, it's like 16 of his parables is on money and possessions. And so it's hard to preach on the topic of, of the parables if you're not going to get into that arena, right? And so this, and you find out so many other scriptures that, uh, that we have of what Jesus said. So he was, this was, I would have to say, and by the way, he had another, uh, money and finances and possessions was, was, a, was a popular topic for Jesus. The other one was this, was hell. He spoke more on hell than he did heaven. How many of that'll make you popular today? You're like, well, Jesus, you know, you know, you kind of got to watch the fear factor here, scaring people. You're like, well, he did. He actually taught more on hell than he did heaven. So Jesus, we, we would probably, people would be looking at Jesus that they go, man, somebody's got to work with him on a subject matter. Because this is not receptive to us as Americans. And we have to understand it's not necessarily up to Jesus to be, you know, trying to meet, oh, he can meet our needs. But how many know we also need to be challenged? Yeah, if you're not careful, you can preach and never challenge anybody on anything because you're just trying to play it safe. And so one of the things that I want you to recognize is this. Where did Jesus get all of his insights on these money and possessions? This is something we often forget. A key element that is often overlooked about Jesus' overall teachings, and in this case his teaching on money, is this. He was once a small business owner. Notice the resonant, amen, hallelujah. Uh, he, was a, he was a small business. We estimate that at maximum he could have been a small business owner for 18 years. Probably could have been a small business owner for 15. Definitely 15. You could make a case for 18. You say, where are you coming up with this, Pastor Greg? I'm glad you asked that question, and I'm ready to answer it this morning. Because... Joseph was a carpenter. Jesus was firstborn, so he would have been taught in the trade. The last time we hear about Jesus, his father, Joseph, was when he was 12 years old. When Jesus was at Jerusalem, they returned back to Nazareth. We never hear from jo about Joseph again. And the assumption, which is a very strong case, that takes into account a lot of dynamics and a lot of these one-liners that you find in Scripture all over, is the fact that Joseph most likely died. That would have meant Jesus would have assumed the head of the household because he was the oldest of at least seven kids that Joseph and Mary had. Now, some of you went, oh, yeah, they had kids. And it's in the scripture, but we miss it. 
So I'm going to show you this, okay? So Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 through 56. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Now, this is Matthew, and he's trying to write to the Jewish people in their culture at that time. It was very important for people to know who your father was and what your father did for a living because that had a way of defining who you were and what your self-worth was. So he writes to them, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers, now look here, brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. There's four. He had four brothers. Aren't these, are all his sisters with us? Sisters means he has at least two. We don't know. He could have had more. So this means at a minimum, Jesus is the oldest of seven kids. If Joseph would have passed away, Jewish law, Jewish custom says Jesus is responsible for his mother and his brothers and sisters until they all come of age. That would explain Jesus delaying his ministry till he turned 30. Which means Jesus was a small town business owner running a business, raising the family. You say, well, how do you know he was a carpenter? How do you know he followed in his dad's footsteps? I'm glad you asked that question today, and I'm ready to answer that one as well, because you go to the Gospel of Mark, it doesn't matter so much what your father did, it's more about what you do and who you are, because he's writing to Gentiles, he's writing to Christians who are in Rome, and he says, isn't this the carpenter? And he again lists the family, isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon aren't his sisters We're here with us. And they took offense at him because supposedly he did not have the right occupation and the background to be spousing and, and touting the teachings that he was saying. They were saying, you can't teach this stuff because you didn't go to our school. We haven't certified you. We haven't cleared you. So where did Jesus get all of his ministerial experience before he launched ministry? Small town business owner, carpenter, it's right there. So here's the other thing. So what was a carpenter back then? I'm glad you asked that question today. It comes from the Greek word and it means to actually not just work with wood, it also incorporates the idea of working with bricks and stones they would have been builder of houses, windows, doors, yokes, boats. Now, Nazareth wasn't near a body of water, so it's very unlikely that Jesus would have worked on a boat. However, he would have been familiar with the, with the tactics and the skills necessary to do that from the carpentry trade. But here's the other part. Do you see he would have worked on the yoke? So this is where Jesus would have been exposed a lot to the farming industry. He would have seen how it works. What the, and so that if you look at some of his teaching, now you know why he incorporates so much of that into his teaching. Because he's like, I used to service the people who worked the fields. I fixed their yokes. By the way, in Matthew, he says, come unto me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy. Jesus is using carpentry terms. I thought that was cool. Okay. And like I said, when you start to see the teaching, you're like, oh, so this, this, this comes from a lot of things that Jesus was, was teaching was based on his, his uh, background as a small, now you kind of got to think, what was it like to go to, go to work and, uh, or, or, or go to a business and you don't know it, but it's the son of God. And you can imagine, you know, being in that kind of industry, Jesus would have learned a lot about people. He would have become a master learning and watching people because in, in, in the business world, you, many of you understand this is what I'm saying. In the business world, sometimes you learn that there might be another side to a person other than what people see in public. You put some money on the table and all of a sudden people start to manifest. You know, and can you imagine going to Jesus? I think that's an unfair price. Can you imagine Jesus under his breath going, you got to be kidding me. I don't think you're making a quality product. I think you're trying to rip me off. If they only knew who they were talking to. Or Jesus saying, hey, you missed the payment. Oh, I paid you. 
No, I'm pretty sure you didn't. <laughs> well, I paid you in full. No, you didn't. Well, you must be mistaken. I don't think I am. I don't know if you... So Jesus would have gotten an insight on the business world before he ever announced who he was. And he would, like I said, if, let's just say Joseph died immediately upon returning from Jerusalem. So Jesus would have been 12. Okay, that, that might be a stretch. But let's just say at least probably by age 15 he might have passed. And Jesus would have then had to assume the business. So that means for 15 years he's been in the trade. Listen to me. He knows, he knows what people see as valuable as a carpenter because he deals with them every day. And he's, he knows how people haggle in price. And he knows... He knows propensities of where people try to cut corners. He's, he's in the business world. That world was no different back then than it is for many of you today. And I say that, I think it's critical to know that so that when you read the teachings of Jesus on giving, on finances, and possessions, this is not a rabbi. Yes, he became, they called him that later on, but this is not a guy with a, with a rabbi teaching education. This is a rabbi who was a small business owner in carpentry in the town of Nazareth. And these are his observations as he saw it. So I don't know if you've ever thought of this. Literally, Jesus was an undercover boss before there was ever a show called Undercover Boss. <laughs> yeah as he's doing the business and people are saying things and he's like oh not gonna go well for you when i reveal who i am it's gonna be a really bad day you accusing me of stealing ripping you off not keeping my word using inferior material whatever the case may be come on Jesus, and I say this, when you start to go to the scripture, you can really, I think, I, I say this sincerely, I think you can see how he learned about people and the teachings formed, and we have what we have in these teachings, and I want to show you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to go through the scripture we read today in an abbreviated fashion because I want to go to another section of teaching that I created specifically for this today because I want you to see what I, listen to me. And I know, I know when I say this, there are going to be people who are going to go, click. You know, I'm not going to, God's financial plan for everybody's life. You say, there's no way. I accept that challenge. I'm going to show you that. If we, the problem is it's scattered through the scripture. It would be so nice if it was all in just one chapter. But we have to go through the Bible and we see that God actually has a financial plan for his followers. And, and I want to show you what that is today. So, but with that, let's go look at its scripture. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves and, and do not break in and steal. So as a carpenter, Jesus would have been responsible to help people not only build their homes and maintain them, he would have also been aware of people where they put their wealth one of the arenas back then of in putting your wealth was in garments okay wool and silk were very valuable as were garments that had been dyed purple and you can go into the book of acts where paul reached aquila and priscilla they were into the purple business it was a very lucrative business but the reason purple garments were valuable is because it was labor intensive it was not so when you saw somebody with purple garments you knew they were wealthy, so please just look around the room and let's see who's wealthy today. Look for purple garments. You know, I see some people sitting up a little straighter, you know, wanting you to take note who they are. Where they're. The other thing they would do is oftentimes they would sew gold threads through their clothing. Now, the downside of that was this. You better have a pretty secure place to put them in a house because in that particular climate, one of the challenges they had were moths and vermin. And the last thing you wanted to do was open up your closet and realize the insects had ate your wealth. And that happened. Now, Jesus, as a carpenter, would have been responsible to help people build and provide things that would store those and keep them safe. 
But we all know vermin and insects are determined, you know, they can be persistent over a course of time. And so Jesus would have watched or, or known people who had some of their value, some of their uh, investments in garments, and he would have known people who had lost everything because moths and vermin got in and destroyed it. And he, he probably thought as a carpenter, man, you know, put your money in tools or something, but garments i mean yesterday you were wealthy and today you've lost half of it all because of insects and vermin you should have been more wise for, for a carpenter he would have just gone that's just that's just poor management that's just poor it, do, it doesn't make sense why would you do it and then the same thing when he says about uh, where thieves break in and steal you realize they didn't have um, um, the internet and digital uh uh, currency and the ability to store it in banks with vaults. People didn't, have, people didn't have a vault at their house. People didn't have security at their house. People had to figure out, where am I going to hide my gold, my silver, my jewels, whatever coinage, whatever I have, where am I going to hide it? Because I can't stay at this house 24-7 to defend it. So I need to put it somewhere where nobody will find it, but I have access to it. It was a challenge. But how many know that's a risk? Once people knew that you had wealth and that you were keeping it at your house, yeah, people would love to break in when they knew you left to do a search trying to figure out where have they hidden it in this. They knew the location, and there was no camera to catch them. There was no, you didn't have to be a safe cracker. You just had to be determined where would, if I was a homeowner in this house, where would I hide it? And no doubt Jesus would have been part of helping people create things to hide it in the house but he would also have been aware of people who were unsuccessful in that venture and they left the house wealthy and they came home and they were broke. Somebody broke in, stole it. And it's not like the currency back then had serial numbers like we have today. That was gone. There was no way to trace it. it was, unless you had somebody who saw it happen, there was no way to know who had it and where it went. It was gone. And Jesus was like, wow, look what happens when you... When you you have a tilted view of treasure, and this kind of tragedy can happen so suddenly. Yesterday you had everything. Today you've got nothing. And he says, uh, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Then he says this. This is the, this is the interesting passage. Because I think this is something that would have come from Jesus' business interactions. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You know, you read that and you're going, hmm, my eyes are just fine. I mean, you're not quite sure what, you know there's something there, but you're not quite sure where it's taking you. And the key word here is the word unhealthy. If you go into the Greek, you can find out also that it can be translated stingy. If your eyes are stingy, what Jesus is talking about is people's outlook. That how they see the world determines their attitude and what they will do based on that attitude. And he says this, if you have stingy eyes, you will be full of darkness. If you have healthy eyes, a healthy outlook, a healthy perspective, light can come through that. But what happens in life all starts with how you see the world. Do you see it as opportunity? Do you see it as generosity? Do you see it as the ability to do good? Or do you have a stingy outlook that if, that if I give it away, that's less for me? And then he says this. No one can serve two masters. And he goes on down, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, the Greek word for money there is mamanos. If you go into some other biblical translations, you will see that they translate it mammon. You will read those scriptures, and it says you cannot serve God in mammon. Some of those translations will capitalize the word mammon with a capital M. Some will not. I'm going to tell you now, there is divisiveness on what that... On, on this, the background of this word. It can go either direction. And the direction is this. It definitely means money, but why do some people capitalize it and translate it as mammon rather than money and they capitalize it? Because there was a Babylonian god called Mamanos. 
And, some, and the, remember, the Jews have just come out of Babylonian captivity not too long ago. And what he is saying to people is this. Are you serving God or are you serving the manos, the Babylonian God? Trust me, that did not sit well with people. To accuse them of having a divided loyalty about who God was was not popular. That was very accusatory and judgmental by people's standards of who, what Jesus was saying. So you, no matter how you take it, you could say yes, you could say no. It doesn't affect the outcome. The point being is this. Mamanas and God are on opposite ends of the spectrum. The two don't work too good. He's, God is either your God or money is your God. It's one of the two. They don't work together. Some translators will even say... The opposite God is mamanos. It's not just an object that you hold in your hand. There's a spirit behind that. And if you're not careful, that spirit will take control of you. It's a good, it's a good uh, dialogue. You could fall on either side of that argument. You're good, theologically speaking, okay? I'm just letting you know, you're good. Because the outcome is still the same. God wants no competition. Now, here's where we... I'm going to go outside the teachings of Matthew and begin to look at this holistic picture. What is God's financial plan for our life? What does God want me to prioritize? It might surprise you on some of the things that I'm going to say this morning, but what I want you to see is this. In Christianity, we have sometimes made it an either-or, and we forget some of the things that God wants. It might be all the above. None of those is to be more of a high priority than the other. What if it's all the above? It's not A, it's not B, it's not C. What if it's D, all the above? And I'm going to tell you to remember the word right now, balance. Everybody say balance. Balance, balance means this. I leave nothing off the table. I'm, whatever I do, all of it must be on the table. It's not, well, I'm going to sacrifice this so I can do that. No. No, balance. God wants all this activity in your life. So let's begin to look at this now as a bigger picture, okay? Number one, let's read it together. Use God's provision to provide. Wow. Did you know that God blesses you so that you can take care of your personal needs? All right, no amens. We can change it if you don't like it. <laughs> no, it's, and let me say, it's actually a biblical mandate. God blesses you so that you can take care of yourself. Because if you haven't learned by now, if you don't take care of yourself, you force somebody else to take care of you. Which is a burden then to more people. So the idea is, first of all, the resources that God gives me, he expects me to take care of myself. We're gonna, I'm going to read Galatians 6, verses 2 through 5. It's a long passage. I know the first part of it. You're going to say, well, what about that part? I'll get to that later. But it starts off with, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Everybody read that last part. For each one should carry their own load. And everybody gave an amen on that. What's the background of this? If you go into the Greek and do a little background, it means this. It's a backpack. And you're to carry your backpack. You're not to give your backpack to anybody else. That's your backpack. So carry it. But it's heavy. Well, then take something out of it, but don't hand it off. It's yours. Everybody look at the person on your left and right and say, carry your own backpack. God gives us resources and provision so that we can carry our own backpack. Because if I don't, I am, I am delegating, I'm obligating somebody else to carry my load. Now they have twice as much. So God blesses us so that he, that's his way of taking care of us. So that's one of the things, listen, that's a scriptural mandate. That's not, you know, Point one, subsection two, A, B, no, it's priority. Now you say, well, what about that first part? We'll get to that in a minute. Let's go on to the number two. Everybody read this out loud. Use God's provision to provide for your family's needs. First Timothy 5, 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
Ooh, does anybody need that explained? So God gives you provisions to take care of the family. That's just as important as giving to missions. It's just as important as giving to a church. But God gives you resources because he wants you to take care of your family. In fact, he says, if I give you resources and you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. I always thought unbeliever, I guess, was the word. And he says, you're actually worse than an unbeliever. Wow. So we need to understand the, the, the principle of man. Again, this is not either or. It's both. God gives me resources so I can take care of my needs. He gives me resources so I can take care of my family's needs. I don't have time to unpack a ton of this, but I'm gonna, you'd be surprised how much more the Bible has to say about taking care of our families. Let me walk you through a couple scriptures very quickly. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 20. We don't do a very good job in the Christian community of talking about inheritances. Okay, we don't. Because it sounds self-serving. It sounds, it's so Americanized that, you know, oh, it's just a way to live it up on the tab of somebody else. Listen to me. There's some teaching that really needs to happen here. Proverbs eleven twenty nine. Whoever brings ruin on their family will inherit only win, and the fool will be servant to the wise. You know what the Bible's saying? You don't give somebody as an inheritance just because they're family. Because if they're a fool, you're going to destroy them. So you better be careful about just giving an inheritance because they're family. All fools belong to somebody's family. Every fool's got a mom and a dad. I don't like what you said. I didn't say it. I read it. Okay? Well, I don't like what you read. We'll take it up with the editor. Okay. I'm just telling you. Whoever brings ruin. So let me just tell you this. If you're a fool, your family is doing you a favor by not giving you an inheritance. Because that will destroy you. Your foolish behavior is risky enough. The worst thing they could do is finance it and put it on steroids. I can just tell the love that's going to come this week. <laughs> Proverbs 13, 22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So not only are we to look at our children, it says that we're to have a long-term vision on how this will impact our grandkids. So it, tell, it tells us that we're to have a vision and, an, and, a, and a thought process that goes beyond just our own generation, but look down the road. Why? Here's one of the things that we have got to learn in the Christian community. If we're not careful, we're going to relegate every generation to start over at the same point that we started, and then nobody's getting ahead. You ever think of that? There's, there's something to be said about growing and learning and developing your life but if we're not careful we're going to relegate generations to making the same thing over and over and we go i just understand why as christians why we're not gaining any momentum because we don't hand any momentum off um, i'm just teaching the bible today okay okay Proverbs chapter 17, verse 2. A prudent servant will rule over a disgraceful son and will share the inheritance as one of the family. So again, it's going back to those who should be the recipients and says, but if you're acting like a fool, don't be surprised that the family gives it to somebody who ain't family. So it's not just telling one side, it's telling both sides. There's an obligation, there is a process here that a vetting to make sure that what is going, going to happen is a healthy thing. Otherwise it says, if you have a family member who's going to use it for destructive purposes, you might want to consider finding somebody outside the family. I know I'm just winning points today. <laughs> Proverbs 20, verse 21. An inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed at the end. Wow, the Bible also says make sure you don't give it too soon because you could wreck them. You need to make sure that they have the ability to grow 
in the character and the management and the discipline that they need so that when they receive it, they know what to do with it. Trust me, experimenting with inheritances can be a disaster. Oh, I, I could have made this a whole sermon today. But my point being is this. God wants us to use our provisions to supply for our family needs. They're not, they're not, listen, what happens is this. I've heard some people say, well, you just need to give it all away and trust God. And so they give it all away to help somebody else's kids, and now they find themselves with kids that need help, that are their own. They were so busy helping everybody else's kid, they never took care of their own. And so now their kids are the kids that they used to help. Take care of your families. Everybody said amen? amen? Okay. Number three, read it out loud. Use So use God's provision to help others. So this is that Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 through 5, going back to that. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Notice he uses the word burdens. See, on down, he said, everyone should carry their own load. There's a difference between load and a burden. You know what the difference is? A burden is something that won't fit in my backpack. It fell on me and I can't move. I can't carry it. I've had a rock fall on me. I've had a log fall on me. It is too heavy. I cannot lift it. People have disasters happen to them in life. Things that happen that are beyond their control. Things that are like a log, like a rock, it falls on them. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. It rains on the just and the unjust. And God says, well, in that case, go over there and get rid of the log, get rid of the rock. Don't take their backpack. Ah, yeah. The goal is to get them on their feet so they can carry their backpack, to get them healthy so they can carry their own backpack. But we need to get rid of that log. We need to get rid of that, that rock. And here's the other part is, you got to be careful and have some discernment because there's some people who make a living by getting under rocks and under logs. And you go, no, 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 no. In that case, you don't need help. We need to educate you so that you have better judgment. Because you keep walking into rock falls. <laughs> Why is it every time a tree falls, you're there? <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is. They, you know, you, some parts of the country where I've been, you know, they have these signs, blasting zone. I don't know what it is. There's always somebody that feels the need to walk in and check it out. <laughs> blasting zone, stay out. I know, but I just wanted to see what it looked like. That's why you had rocks fall on you. See, that's what, sometimes you have to have a conversation about people like, dude, you're just totally on the wrong path, okay? You need, you need to find other paths so that you stop putting yourself in those positions and those places. This is not about you need help. You need discernment. And if you had better discernment, you would not need help. Your lack of discernment. So it's understanding what does a, uh, there's a great book out. If you want to check it out, it's a great book. It is called When Helping Hurts. It's, it's a book about you better be careful because sometimes you help and you've made it worse. And your intentions were good. Knowing how to discern when to help, how to help, and what to do. We have an obligation to help, yes. But that doesn't mean we don't get to ask questions. Okay, well, since this has gone so well this morning, <laughs> let's move on. Look what Jesus said about wealth and our friends, Luke 16, 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus said, one of the best things you can use your money, win your friends over, help them, be good to them. Wow, don't just take care of your trajectory, why don't you help them with their trajectory? Huh. Then he goes on to say this, look at this, in Ephesians 4, 28, the Apostle Paul wrote this, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. That means stop stealing from people to take care of your own needs. Stop taking their stuff and go to work and make your own stuff. But look at this, 
that they may have something to share with those in need. He says, why don't you get a job and do well and take care of your own needs, and by the way, do well enough that you can help other people. Hmm. See, we have a tendency to try to rank Scripture in priority. And we have to go, it's all God-breathed. This is just, this is just as important as the scriptures that say, God says, you know, bring your tithes. This is just as important. Everything I've said is just as important. None of that is sub, sub-teaching to, to the main. Te- no, this is all prior. It's all the above. I need it all on the table in my life. And if I can't do it, now that's where I need to ask God to help me. I need more to grow. Why? Because I want to do all this. Then comes the last part. Use God's provision to provide for God's house and its needs. In Proverbs 3, 9, he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. We've read that many times for our offering scripture. Does the Bible say that we're to give and help God's house and meet its needs? Yes. But it doesn't mean, hey, I'm going to give it all to God, and now, now what, how do I make my house payment? Uh, I gave it all, and now I can't help my kid. No, I'm not. Listen to me. I'm not telling you to choose between the two. I'm telling you, it all belongs on the table of priority. All of it. Look what he says. Malachi three ten. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. It's saying, God, it's it's got to be all of it. You don't want me choosing between helping my family and giving to my church. You don't want me choosing. You want me doing both. It's not either or. And sometimes we find ourselves in these pinches where we, if we're not careful, we start prioritizing one scripture over another scripture. And everything I read this morning is a commandment, and everything that I read this morning is God-breathed and from the Bible. It is, it's, it's, it's all one. It's not, we can't, well, you know, it's all the above. God wants all that activity in my life, all of it. And you say, well, what do you do when you find you're short? I... I'm, I, I, I wasn't planning on sharing this, and then I told it in the first service, so now I'm obligated. i got to tell you, too. <laughs> so we had three kids in four years. Obviously, we were trying to figure out what the cause was. <laughs> but after four years, we had three kids, and we went, oh, that's what causes it. <laughs> so that meant we had three kids in high school. It also meant we had three kids in college. And... You know, we were kind of, oh, three kids in college. Whoa, okay. Not the college world we were in when we were, you know, their age and different world. And, and uh, I don't know what it was. You know, we were pastoring a church where Purdue University is, you know, world-renowned university. You're pastoring there. And I don't know what it is, but that school was not good enough for any of the three. They all had to go out of state. And it was in that same period of time that I decided, well, if they're going out of state to get their degrees, I'm going to go back and get my master's and my doctorate. So I went ahead and just threw my, I thought, my, my hat's not going to tilt the scale. <laughs> and my seminary was out of state. <laughs> so there's four of us. Now, please understand, as I say this, this is not a, uh, because the church treated us good. Okay, this is not a dig on the church. It's not a shot across. It's just the reality of our world. Pastors are salaried. Okay. So we have four of us hitting college, and we're all going out of state. That was not in the budget, okay? And there was no way to go, well, maybe if I this, and maybe if I that, and maybe if I get this cell or land this contract or whatever. You know, it's like, no, that, that's, whatever the bump might be, it's not going to be near enough to cover four of us in college going out of state. Not happening. And again, you're looking at the dilemma. God, I know that you don't want any of this falling off the table. None of this. So my wife was involved in real estate at the time. And uh, we were praying, like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to pay this? How are we going to pull? Because I, did, I didn't want to sack them with, with monumental levels of debt. And we didn't want to be sacked with monumental levels of debt. But we knew education was important. So she was driving down the road one day. And there was a billboard. It was the number one realtor in the community. She had a billboard up doing her advertisement. 
And my wife felt the Lord say, you know, you need to call her. Like, yeah, I can't call her. She doesn't, I mean, I'm, I'm an average realtor. She's like number one. <laughs> people like me don't call people like her, you know. And there was nothing wrong with it. But I think you just understand the dynamic. Like, who, who how many people are probably calling her, you know. And she, and she just said, she felt the Lord say, you need to call her now. So she called her and introduced herself and just said, hey, I, saw, I just saw your billboard and, you know, I'm in real estate and I, I know you're, you know, doing really well and I know you're, you know, I don't know if you ever come to, you need a team member. She goes, that's crazy. She goes, I am so swamped right now. I need somebody now, now. And so they just began to negotiate over the next few days very quickly on what that would look like and how that would benefit her. And long story short, within, a, within about a week and a half, she went from just being an average realtor to working for the number one realtor in the community. And she did, I'm just, my wife had phenomenal years. Phenomenal. By the time all three of our kids got through college, by the time I graduated, the only debt we had was 15000 Nobody got a scholarship, you know? I thought I should have gotten a scholarship for my preaching, you know, but there was no preaching scholarships, you know, and all that. It's just... So I just say this. We know what it's like to sit down at the table and go, how are we going to do this? We know we need to do it, but we don't have a way. And we know what it's like to sit there and go, God, none of this really should be negotiable because we can look at the word and go, all of it is your plan. We're, we're falling short. We need you to help us. How do you want to do this? Because we are going to be making decisions that we're not comfortable making. We, we don't think we should rob our kids of their future and we don't think you want us robbing, helping people. I'm pretty sure you don't. I'm the pastor of the church. I'm pretty sure you don't want me cutting my giving. What kind of, you know, God, there's just no room here. What do we do? We understand that. And that's where you just pray. God, if you open the windows, we get it. And we know what it's for. We know. We get it. So I tell you this today, every day is living under a biblical mandate. So let me close out with one last thing. I don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to go back to what Jesus said about your eyes. He says unhealthy eyes. That word can also be translated stingy. Giving, and I'm even talking about all four arenas that I talked about this morning, okay? All four arenas that I talked about. Giving follows our attitude. If I don't like something, I'm not given to it, okay? If I'm passive about something or indifferent, I'm not giving to that. Then you move into what I call toleration. Yeah, it's all right. Well, you know, you might throw a tip or something at it, but just to kind of be viewed as, well, I mean, not passionate about it, I'm okay with it, so I tolerate it, it's all right. It doesn't violate anything in my conscience, but I'll give a little something, but I'm just tolerating. Then you move into the realm of like. When you like something, your giving goes up. You say, you say things like, I really like that. I really like what's happening. I really like that person. I really like that ministry. I really like what's happening in my son's life, my daughter's. I really like, I like, I like, I like. And then there's the category love. So I'm giving you the spectrum from dislike to love. You know where generosity shows up? Not until you love. That's, generosity is when you go above what is expected, wanted, or desired. Why do you do it? Because you love it. You love them. You love what's happening. You love, you love. Christmas is coming up. And we will have the usual conversation in our household. Let me tell you what it's like. 
We spoil the grandkids rotten and we let the parents deal with it. Not my problem. My kids will sit there and go, wow, when we were kids, you didn't get us stuff like that. And I have the standard answer. Well, I love you, but I really love them. You just haven't made it into the really love category yet. You're in the love category, but you're not in the really love category. You get in the really love category, and I do stuff like that. Let me, generosity flow. That's where Jesus said, healthy eyes. I can tell where you put your resources in life. I know a lot of you. You really love your family. And it shows. And I say this within proper boundaries. You love yourself in a healthy way, and I can see that because you take care of yourself. And you take care of yourself well enough that you're able to help take care of. And that's the part, you, you really love people. Because when the, you see something that needs to happen, you just go do it. You love, it matters to you what happens to people. Why do you do it? Because you have the right eyes. And you love this church. Because I see what you do. I see how you do it. I see how you step up. I see you're involved. We see that, you know, we don't look at individual giving, but the giving here for our congregation this size is extremely healthy. I gotta, can, I, can I brag on you guys a minute? All right, talk to six of you. you have, I really hate to say sometimes because it can, but... I think everybody knows churches in COVID took a severe hit. Severe. The giving in this church in 2021 went up 10%. And listen to me, hold it, hold it. And it has gone up another 10% this year. Why do I say that? Because I know you love this church. I do. I loved it enough, I moved 850 miles. I'm just telling you. Love is where generosity is deposited. When you get there, amazing, incredible things happen. God loved you so enough, so much, he gave his son. You don't do that for people you like. And you don't do that for people that you tolerate. You don't do that for people that you're indifferent about. You only do that for people that you so loved the world that he gave his only son. Love will cause you to do some crazy things. But it's amazing. And everybody said amen. amen. Come on, let's everybody stand. Would you do that right now? Can you just lift your hands and thank him for being a God who so loved you, so generous he gave you son, his son for you. Come on, let's praise him for that right now.